0: Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the DemCast Network. I'm Kimberly Johnson, quarantined in D.C. Today, I'm going to be talking to Adam Parkamenko. He's an American political strategist and organizer who served as national field director for the Democratic National Committee, the DNC, in 2016. He was also the co-founder and executive director of Ready for Hillary, a super PAC established to persuade Hillary Clinton to run for president. President. We had a really fascinating talk. Um, you know, he started his political career early unlike me and he's he's very smart and serious about what he does he is part uh, you know he was running the kremlin annex uh which is and we get into that when we talk so that's toward the end of the conversation but just keep your eye open for that if you're aware of what the kremlin annex is but it was basically it's just like protests outside of the white house um so before i get into the conversation with him uh, I'm going to update you on Miranda, which I don't know. You c- She did come up behind me while I was talking to Adam, so you might hear me bump the microphone a couple of times because I was turning around. And she talked, so you might even hear her. But she seems to be doing okay. The only thing I'm a little bit worried about is an, uh, is her weight. She seems like she's losing weight. But um, I've been giving her all the things that she needs in order to keep her going to the bathroom. <laughs> And just fingers crossed, she's, like I said, she's 16 years old. And actually on June 3rd, that's my anniversary, my 16-year anniversary with her. So she's so important to me. And, um, you know, I'm just trying to do my best to keep her. She seems to be happy to be here. And she's been quite talkative lately and cuddly. So I'm, I'm happy for that. And then I don't know if, if everybody here knows. But last Friday, my father, I think it was Friday, my father's cousin died of complications due to COVID. And it was fucking awful because her name was Beverly and she, again, it was my father's cousin. So it was my my grandfather's brother's daughter. And she had knee surgery and was in a rehab to, you know, like after she had knee surgery and that's when it all started. So that's where she got it. And it was so awful it damaged her lungs so severely that the doctors were basically like, we can't do anything. And not only that, she was in horrendous pain. I think it was on Thursday, I saw an update from one of my family members on Twitter, that Beverly was so uncomfortable, and they had to, you know, just pump her full of drugs in order to keep her from agonizing pain. And so, you know, the the family had just basically decided um, she had been on a ventilator, and the ventilator, uh, I think, you know, th- I think this whole thing happened a little over a week, so that when they initially put her on the ventilator, um, she started to improve. But then she took a turn for the worst, and I think she was needing, I, I can't remember the exact way that they framed it or, or described it, but I think that her lungs were only working at like 20% capacity. And so they had to just, the family had to decide what to do. And they decided that the most humane thing and what Beverly would have wanted was to, you know, just go naturally. So they did pump her up full of morphine and it didn't take very long. I think it was after they took her off the ventilator, I think it was only a matter of a half an hour before she was gone. And so it's really sad, you know And I mean? On top of it, without getting into too much personal, um, you know, I mean, she was, she had a little bit of a sad story. Um, you know, there's always, there's always family issues and dramas going on, and I was aware of a little bit of it. Um, so it just makes me, it's like, you know, she had two cats, and I know they did take care of the cats because I was very concerned about that. But it's just so sad. She didn't have to fucking die. She died because of Donald Trump's terrible um, handling of this virus. It's his fault. There was no reason she had to die. And it's it's just so incredibly depressing. So I'm sorry to come off on a bummer note like this, but um, I posted about it. And I I mentioned this on The After Party with Bob Seska, my handsome, strapping boyfriend, um, on Friday, that... When I posted about it, you know, I mean, I got a lot of condolences. And so if you were one of the people who sent me condolences, I really want to say, you know, thank you. But I hadn't seen Beverly for a long time. I, and I, in, in fact, I think I had mentioned on Twitter that I hadn't seen her since I was a child. But when I remembered, I think the last time I saw her was in 1993 when I was 24, my grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary. I think that's the last time I saw her. But, I mean, I wasn't close with her. Um, and so her death was extremely sad, but it wasn't like a very personal thing for me because I did not really have a relationship with her. I just wanted to point out that this is happening and people are not taking it seriously. You know, I mean, we're seeing all of these videos coming about where that one woman in, in Dana Point, I think, was wanting to go into a Gelson's market, but she didn't want to wear a mask and she was insisting that she needed to buy private items. And it's like, s- as someone else pointed out on Twitter, oh, these private items that you didn't want anybody to see, the, the, the cashier was going to see them, the people in front of you and in back of you were going to see them. She also said that, you know, I don't want you taking my credit card because they offered, since she wasn't going to wear a mask, I guess the manager or somebody from the store offered to do shopping for her. And she's like, no, I have private items. But she also said, you think I'm just going to give you my credit card? And it's like, well, you give a credit card to a, a, a server at a restaurant and they take it in the kitchen and you don't see what they do with it. So, you know, we're seeing more and more people. In fact, I, I woke up to, uh, <laughs> to a DM from some splainer dude who was telling me that I, you know, he first thing he did was tell me that I'm not really a pragmatic progressive because he went on to explain why, and it was just a stupid thing. So, of course, I was sarcastic when I replied to him, and then he came back, and he was uh, explaining to me still and being a dick. And then I blocked him on Twitter and he fucking found my email address and then he had to go get me there. What a fucking loser. But anyway, I looked at his um, feed and he was he looks like he lives in Huntington Beach and he was praising all the fucking idiots for going out and not social distancing and not wearing masks and protesting this shelter in place order. So he's one of them. So this is why I was posting Um, about Beverly more than anything else is because I wanted people to understand her lungs were ravaged. They were fucking ravaged. I mean, I don't know exactly how old she was. I think she was, she's probably about 10 years older than me and I'm going to be 52 in July. So, you know, I mean, she's in her 60s and too young, awful, awful. But it's like, I just, I wanted to make sure people, I I, I keep posting about it because I want people to understand all of the fucking, you know, um, possible, just, we're finding out now that not only can it ravage your lungs and give you permanent lung damage, it can give you blood clots, it can give you a stroke. There's just so many awful things and people need to be aware. So anyway, that's why I talked about Beverly specifically. I wasn't necessarily looking for people to be so sweet to me, which everybody really was. Um, I just wanted to make that point. So thank you everybody and you know I think it's important that we all share these kinds of stories even though they're awful and hard because we need to get the truth out there for the people who are willing to listen. All righty. So let's move on to the idea that Start Me Up is an independent podcast and it's supported by listeners. Also, it's woman run. And I don't use corporate backers. I don't use advertising. Basically, the show runs on patrons. It's people like you that keep the show going. So if you enjoy today's show, consider visiting patreon.com slash startmeup. And just, like, look at all the different tiers, and you can become a patron. You can start for, like, two bucks. And if you like the show, eventually you can maybe upgrade, if you want to, to, like, five bucks. Because five dollar tier patrons get extra special personal shows. Two times a month. Usually it's with a partner. Sometimes it's alone. But it's always more personal. It's more fun. And it's just for you guys. It's not for the general public consumption. Sometimes we talk about things, well, we we always talk about things that we wouldn't necessarily talk about on the free shows. And then also, uh, we just have fun. Like it's it's usually with Steph, but you know, as, as I continue to evolve this show and grow, I'm sure there will be some guests that are going to join me behind that paywall, but I do it because I know that I want to give something to the people who support the show. I really, really do appreciate it. So, um, don't forget that's that the 5 dot you know, look at the description of the $5 tier to see if it's something you might be interested in. I'm going to be doing one of those. We did one earlier this month, and I am going to be doing one again with Steph next week, which will be fun. You can also make a one-time donation. I always include my, um, the link to my email, which is what you would use on PayPal. So sometimes people like to say, here's 50 bucks, Kimberly, here's $25,000, Kimberly. (laughs) Well, I'm still waiting for that one, but, um, you know, 10 bucks, 15 bucks, 25 bucks, whatever. If you want to do it that way, do it that way. And then you can also go to, um, iTunes and you look for start me up on, um, Apple podcasts. And I would really, really appreciate it if you sign up or not sign up, but you just, uh, you become uh, what, the, what the, a subscriber, and it's free. So you just become a subscriber on Apple Podcasts, and while you're there, you might as well just give me a rating if you like the show and a good review because that really, really, really helps me, and I appreciate it. Um, and, and last but not least, start me up as um, iTunes and Stitcher and wherever podcasts can be found. I just love to add this. I appreciate... And I'm grateful for all my patrons. I love, love, love what I do. And I couldn't do it without you. So I really, really do appreciate it. And I also want to build this community. You know, I mean, I feel like I hate I hate Facebook so much. I hate it. I fucking hate Mark Zuckerberg and I hate Facebook, but I'm kind of tied to it now because I have, I don't even post this show all the time because when I post my Patreon posts, specifically podcast posts, they get buried. Podcasts, because most, you know, like, it's easier to read an article, not everybody listens to podcasts, but because Facebook does not make any money from Patreon, and, and I do, or the, pa- you know, people who have their own Patreon pages, they do, but Facebook doesn't see any money from it, they kind of push you down, and you, you're, uh, your posts don't get seen as much, so sometimes I don't even bother posting them there, I post them on Twitter mostly, so um, anyway, your, your support is always appreciated. I'm going to say that every show because I, I sincerely mean it. Now, that's enough of my blabbing. Now it's time to talk with Adam Parkamenko. Welcome, Adam.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Well,
0: it's good. I'm glad that you're here. I've obviously been following you for quite some time on Twitter, and I love what you do. And I was a little curious about you because I really didn't know that much about you and found out that you had you know, started up that super PAC for Hillary Clinton. And... Um, You've done a lot of work with the DNC, and I'm just wondering, before we get started on all the really juicy stuff that I have prepared, <laughs> uh, what are you doing now?
1: Um, I'm mostly consulting for campaigns and organizations, um, but you know my primary job at this point is uh, you know, full-time homeschooler of my hmm, 10-year-old yeah. son who's in fifth grade. So um, you know, we've been pretty uh, kind of just trying to adjust, and um, oddly, we moved in the middle of the pandemic here. Wow. Um so in a new place and uh doing homeschooling and we got a puppy so
0: And your puppy you know. is so cute. Yes, I was saying this um off offline but or off mic. But oh my god, he has the cute. You got to go visit his um Instagram. He has the cutest dog named Moose. It's an Aussie doodle? Is that what it is? Yeah. Exactly. Oh my god, that dog is so cute.
1: <laughs> He's super cute and the, and the kind of wild thing was we got him a week before, you know, this this pandemic really was a, a pandemic. Even huh. though I think it probably was since right. January, um, we had just planned on getting a puppy, and then two <laughs> days later, um, there were no puppies anymore.
0: Interesting. Wow. Well, you know what? Uh, I also just want to thank you for. Um, I postponed the last time we were set up because I had to take my senior cat to the vet, and so hopefully, knock on wood, she's kind of doing okay. I, I'm not sure, That's but great. you know, she's 16 years old, so it's kind of difficult, but you know how much we love our pets. So I, I really, yeah. appre- I really appreciate you understanding that.
1: Oh um, no, absolutely.
0: So let me ask you, um, you started at a young age. I mean, I was reading that you, I read a Washington post article about you that like around seven is, is 17 when you started getting interested in politics or was it even earlier? Yeah. So
1: I think it's probably earlier. Yeah. I grew up in Arlington County in Virginia and there's an election every year. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where Arlington looks a lot different now in terms of how much it's grown. But it, back in the day, hmm. um, you used to be able to see between, you know, Ballston and Rosalind with no buildings in between. And so local campaigns were like a big thing. And, you know, I, I basically we grew up, you know, putting out yard signs in the median and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, I went to work for Hillary um, right after high school at 17. And um, that was sort of where, I, you know, I really got my feet wet. But I did um, my uh, high school senior year, I interned for John Dingell on the energy and commerce committee. And, uh, so that was interesting. There were a lot of people who were on that committee that are now in the Senate, like Sherrod Brown and Ed Markey. Mm. Um, but I think that's probably where I, I really kind of, you know, caught the bug.
0: Wow. So what was it about Hillary that compelled you to work for her and like eventually start up a PAC?
1: So I saw, um, in high school, she gave this speech and, you know, one of the things that sort of stood out to me, um, was a line that she said, and it was, you know, we, her generation needs to leave this country in a better place for my generation. And, um, you know, sort of kind of followed along and, um, you know, she inspired me to get involved and I thought she'd make a great president. And, you know, I think dating back to 2003, I, I thought she should, um, run against George Bush hmm. and, um, and advocated for a long time for her to run. Hmm.
0: Wow. And then, I mean, eventually you worked with her. And, and, and met her, correct?
1: Yeah, so I started working with her um, at the end of 2003. Uh, she had a, a leadership pack and a committee Hill pack in Friends of Hillary. Um, it was like two blocks from the Senate and uh, we moved I think a, a year later or so to K Street. but um, I worked on those two and then I worked on her re-election in 2006 mm-hmm. and I worked on her presidential in 2008.
0: Wow. So what do you think? I mean, I let me just tell you about me briefly. I mean, back in 2016. Well, I can't say that I was overly political in 2008. And I really started to pay attention once Obama became the nominee. So at that time, I was not overly political as opposed to now, where I'm just like in it constantly. Um, And I didn't really have a preference. I mean, I did obviously as a woman. I wanted to see a woman president, but I couldn't say that I knew enough about either candidate at that time to really make any kind of a decision about who I would have preferred. And then my mother, who was always a political junkie, um, you know, when, when Obama was the candidate, she, she really liked him. And so, I mean, I, I remember that election, you know, some of the details of it. And then of course, once Obama took over, that's when I really, when, when Sarah Palin came onto the scene, I kind of woke up a little more because I was like, she scared the shit out of me. And, um, you know, I mean, I was like more and more and more of the evolution. So in 2016, I, I no longer support him, but I was a supporter of, of Sanders. And the reason why was not because I hated Hillary, but it was because I, I just, I consider myself a progressive. But, um, unfortunately I feel like some of the people who call themselves progressive today, because I think Hillary is progressive also. Um, but, but I didn't realize it at that time. Like I wasn't as clear on who she was at that time. And, you know just to be brief because i know people who listen to my show know the story but i was a bernie supporter and you know i would be on facebook in groups and and they were pro bernie and this was probably like prior to april of 2016 and they were all very very kumbaya very nice nobody was allowed to attack hillary and then all of a sudden around april it was just nothing but hatred for hillary clinton and i remember feeling and obviously it was the russian um you know trolls and stuff that was yeah Yeah. and and i didn't know that was happening and i i i never hated her but i certainly experienced seeds of doubt i certainly felt like um you know there was this one crazy guy named h.a goodman who was constantly saying that she was going to be indicted and you know it's not that i necessarily believed that she was going to be indicted but i i just remember like you know being influenced by that campaign and not really realizing what it was and and really being upset over the division and then eventually when bernie didn't win Um, You know, I jumped over into Hillary's camp because to me, she was just like a she was choice number two. She wasn't like, oh, I hate Hillary. But then I think it was NPR aired or not NPR PBS. I can't remember, but they did that piece on Trump and Hillary. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Frontline. Maybe that's what it was called. And Mm -hmm. they did compare, you know, they compared both. Of of their lives, and I really learned a lot about her in that. And then, of course, since then, I've learned much more. And then, most recently, I watched the Hillary—I mean, the Hulu Hillary special. And so that's sure. why I say I—I I think she's progressive, um, clearly, very and very much a feminist. But at the time, I was, you know, looking at the Bernie side of things and feeling like I wanted the party to, you know, to go more left. And so I'm just curious, like, what do you think before I get into the left thing, though? Like, I I feel like I have a much better and more clear understanding of who she is. Um, But what do you think is like the biggest conception about her misconception about her?
1: Um, Well, I think, you know, it's interesting, like the uh, the the right and obviously um, in in more recent years, uh, the right and Russia Mm -hmm. have, you know, run this disinformation campaign about her for 10, 20, 30 years, Mm -hmm. you know, I've always said long after she's gone, the Republicans will still be using her as a, you know, as a fundraising tactic and tool. She's just somebody who they continue to insert. We're seeing it, you know, this cycle. Um, And I I think the, probably the biggest misconception is, um, you know, just who she is. Like she's a, she's a nice funny person Mm -hmm. who has been advocating for, you know, um, what she cares about, what she's passionate about her entire life, you know, from, early work with the children's defense fund and mm-hmm. other things like that. And, um, you know, she is a really good person, but she, you know, one of the things that she's talked about, um, is the higher a woman goes in politics, mm-hmm. the more hated they are. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that, um, she sort of stuck true to, you know, what she cares about, what her values are. But I think one of the things is that sometimes gets lost on the kind of progressive side of her is that, um, she usually approaches things with, uh, what she believes she can get done. Right. And, and, and so like, she has long not wanted to be somebody who is, is making this giant pivot. She, Mm -hmm. she kind of believed that, you know, she should put forward what she thinks in reality she could get done in the current environment Mm -hmm. and, you know, be elected on that. And I think that is one of the things that probably, um, held her back, um, from going, you know, farther to the left than, um, than we typically saw. Hmm,
0: Interesting. And yeah, I mean, I, I wish like, I, I wish that, um, Elizabeth Warren had been a little, because I like Elizabeth Warren a lot and I wish that she had been a little bit more, um, just upfront about the whole tax thing when it came to Medicare for all and explained it, um, just because she got punished for listening to the critiques, and then going back to the drawing table and coming back with something that she's like, okay, I heard you, and here's what I have to say. Instead, they were like, oh, well, you're flip-flopping. And so it's like I look at Hillary, and I wish that, because she's such a wonk, and she's so smart, it's, it's like perhaps she's taking for granted that people understood that about her, and clearly they don't, because I think people need things spelled out. Um, what I found on the internet, you know, being an advocate for the Equal Rights Amendment, in, immediately, as soon as I would start posting about the ERA, somebody would come on and say, oh, well, we have the 14th Amendment. And so what I learned, because that does not, obviously, it's not protecting women, that didn't even win women the right to vote, because that was the 19th Amendment. So um, I would always, like, kind of start off the tweet with the idea that the 14th Amendment isn't... Um, you know, isn't enough just because I would anticipate that. And so it's like, you know, I mean, of course, Hillary's this incredibly smart woman and it's easy for me to sit here and say, she should be this way. But, but Mm -hmm. it's like, I, I almost wish that she would have been a little bit more. Let me explain this to you because I think it's like, she's smart and she gets it and I and maybe she's assuming people get it and they didn't. And I don't know. I mean, it's like, I, 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 Want to freaking sob every day because she's not the president. And it's just, it's so awful. But, you know, I want to ask you this too. Biden said he's going to pick a woman. And of course, you know, that's great. I'm excited. And I think the two, I could, you know, be wrong, but my prediction is I think he's going to go for Warren. But I don't know. I mean, I think it's between Harris and Warren. But then again, presidents presidential candidates surprise you all the time so i'm not making like the hard clad thing but here's my fear um and i don't know what you think about this but obviously this country is very racist and very sexist and i'm afraid that if he picks a woman and he will um that will be very difficult for us in 2024 i mean i don't know if he's if he's gonna last for the full four years but let's just say he does um do you, how do you feel? Because I don't know that he would be able to run again in twenty twenty four. It would likely be his VP pick, and if it's a woman, at least she's had four years to show us, you know, what she can do. But I mean, do you have a fear like about a woman candidate in twenty twenty four? Considering what's happened in the last couple of election cycles.
1: No, I don't. I, I don't have a, a fear at all. I mean, I think it, I think it's great, and I think that you know, once again, you know, Democrats. Um, are in a position to, you know, make history. And, you know, as Hillary's often said, um, you know, uh, many of these are the most qualified people and they just happen to be a woman. Um, I think you're probably right that, you know, it seems that um, uh, the two most likely um, to to be the VP nominee would be um, Warren or Harris. Um, If I just went off of sort of all of the things I don't like about D.C., which isn't mm-hmm. necessarily, I guess, a bad thing in terms of, um, uh, you know, one of those two options. But I, I do see, like, a lot a lot more um, crossover in terms of the, the sort of people that are aligned with Kamala Harris and um, Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. So, uh-huh. you know, if I had to say, like, hey, this is who it's going to be today, I would say it's probably going to be Kamala Harris mm-hmm. just because, um, you know, uh, there's a number of different buckets in campaigns. And if you take those and, and, you know, they're actually talking to all those different um, folks, including people who have raised money and people who yeah. have worked on campaigns and all that kind of stuff. There were a lot of people who I think naturally would have been actually with Elizabeth Warren, um, especially on the fundraising side, who ultimately um, wound up with Kamala Harris because, um, you know, uh, Senator Warren stopped doing sort of those major dollar events and mm-hmm. so forth. Mm-hmm. And I think she burned a lot of bridges mm. with them um, because they had actually raised a lot of money for her, um, her Senate race that ended up getting transferred to the presidential campaign, mm-hmm. you know, but at the end of the day, you know, who knows? I think that like, you know, those are, those are two people that everybody could get behind.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And oh, uh, I've always, you know, always being last maybe month or month and a half advocated for um, making a decision and choosing a VP um sooner rather than later, just because, you know, campaigning in a pandemic is yes, very hard. I agree I with you. I think you need another, you know, person who's elevated out there, um, you know, really fighting for this ticket.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I, I wish, I mean, he said that they were going to narrow it down to like three by July. I'd like to see it sooner than that. I totally agree with you because like you said, as during a pandemic, I have a friend who's running for city council in Oakland and she's running against an incumbent and that's you know, when you go to vote, if you don't really know who the down ballot candidates are, um, you're going to go all oh, the incumbent. You know what I mean? So it's right, like it right. really does. And it's been really money. hard
1: for first time candidates this cycle um, down ballot to um, challenge incumbents because of the pandemic, because a lot of localities haven't even made adjustments in terms of the you know number of signatures yeah. required and other things like that just to get on the ballot. And so a lot of these incumbents who. You know, already had sort of robust campaigns and got those out of the way are on the ballot while their campaigns are trying to figure out, you know, how do I face to face get a signature from someone so I can be on the ballot?
0: Yeah. Oh, man, this is just so freaking awful. But, you know, I want to ask you this about the left. Okay, so there's I hate to call them the far left because I mean, I consider myself really like I don't I would never say far left. I mean, I think that I fall into like Elizabeth Warren's um, ideology you know, they, she calls herself a Warren Democrat. Um, you know, I, I also... I, I like Bernie's ideas. I just don't know that he would execute them well. I, I, I don't... You know, I mean, I saw when... Hillary Clinton said, you know, nobody likes him in that in that um, Hulu thing. And she wasn't talking about average people. She was talking about people in Congress. And of course, that got taken out of context, because the media loves to do that with her. But, um, you know, I know that he you know, some people in Congress like him, but I know that a lot of people find him hard to work with. And they're not really big fans of his. And, And it's not to say that he's some terrible person or anything like that. It's just that you know, he is who he is. He has a reputation that he does. and But I, I like his ideas, and, I, and like I like a minimum, a $15 minimum wage. I do think we should, you know, as, as far as Elizabeth Warren is concerned, you know, I would love to see, um, you know, all all the things that she's presenting for, like, universal child care and all of that. I think it would be great. Um, and then I see... And by the
1: way, you know, it's funny, like because they've, they've been friends for a long time, Bernie who? and Hillary, and actually oh, okay. Bernie and Hillary. And one of the first things that I ever did, I remember... Working for her and actually taking a pack check from her over to Bernie's office. Huh. <laughs> um Yeah, Hill Pack had had maxed out and made a contribution to him, and you know he accepted wow. it. And I know some some things sort of changed over time and stuff like that, but you know they used to um, they used to work together well. Yeah. But she also um, she supported him.
0: Wow, that's interesting, and I didn't know that. Um, so what do you, like, what do you think is a realistic, I mean, obviously there are people on the left that are just purists and they're never going to bend. It's like AOC is working with Biden and now they hate her. And, uh, and I'm, and I'm talking about not, I'm not talking about your average Bernie supporter. I'm talking about the ones that are like the Bernie or busters, the ones that are refusing to vote for Biden at this point And what did not want to vote for Hillary and voted for just, I'm talking about them specifically, but I mean, outside of that group, um, With just the people who are regular old Bernie supporters, Warren supporters, you know, they they can look at somebody like Biden and feel he's not going far enough. I mean, I believe Hillary said to bring down the the age uh, for Medicare to 55. And I think he said 60. So um, like, what do you think is a realistic and possible compromise? Is there one?
1: Uh, I have no idea. I mean, I think on a lot of this stuff, too, it's like it's it's really hard to sort through what the reality is sort of out there throughout the country. Right. Because it's we are there. There's a lot of what we talked about early on, which is like this this disinformation. Mm-hmm. Um, and you actually have you have a lot. There's an, one example I'd give you is there is a staffer that used to work for Hillary who's running for Congress in Georgia. Um, her name is.
0: I'm and, sorry, you you dropped out. What's her and,
1: name? Oh, I'm sorry. Um there's a there's a candidate running in Georgia seven, which is an open seat. It's one of the most likely to flip the cycle. And there's a candidate that's down there running a Democrat who used to work for Hillary Clinton. Her name's Nabila Islam. Okay. Um, and she is incredibly progressive. You know, she's endorsed the Green New Deal. Um, uh she's had some huge, you know, like Rokana and others. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, she's a great example of, you know, how a Democrat, you know, who worked for Hillary Clinton, who's progressive and, you know, supports a lot of these things is who she is. And I think oftentimes who someone has worked with or supported or something like that somewhat suggests that they aren't their own person. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I, I think that in general, um, you know, the, the, I've always said primaries is a really good thing because, one, you wind up with a nominee who has been through a campaign mm-hmm. and, right, um, yeah. you know, the voters, um, elected, but, but they're, they're much more prepared for the general. And I think a lot of these things are, uh, we try to, um, it's tough because we try to look at it from like a national perspective when in reality, like every single state is different. And, and then you get to a state and they're not, not only are they not cookie cutter, but like every corner of the state is different. And it's why we, um, you know, why we wind up, um, with so many sort of, um, different positions and things like that and i think too oftentimes um democrats are worried that we have a number of people who support different things and i think that that, that's so much better than just going along with you know what the republicans do you know they just it's i mean it's it's criminal what they do in general but at the same time they this whole like suggestion that like the republicans have this awesome machine you know they're always on the same page they you know they they're all willing to, um, go above and beyond for Trump, Mm -hmm. but, um, we have a really great caliber of people and they're, you know, they're, they're ethical and they they follow the rules and they're, they're fighting for what's right. And that's been on full display. And I think, you know, part of this comes down to, um, you know, just making sure that these people have the opportunity to get out and vote and and support who they want to support. And that includes, being able to um, vote by mail and
0: yes. um, having
1: polling locations open as well—you've got to have both.
0: Yes, and that brings me to well, it's a couple of kind of—it's like a double question here because I'm wondering, like, and i, I think you're going to say yes, but do you have faith that Democrats will win? But do you also have faith that we're going to be able to um, have an election? And when I say that, I realize that you know each state handles their own election so it's not like donald trump can say oh there's not going to be an election but i say we shouldn't expect normal and i don't know what that means but i can underst- like i could see him trying to postpone it in some way because i imagine there's going to be a um you know resurgence of the pandemic at that point it's probably going to happen right around voting time so before you get into the pandemic thing like, do you have faith that like, do you have faith that not only Joe Biden will win, but like Democrats will take back the Senate and keep the House?
1: I, th- I think the prospects for the, the Senate are really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that, um, you know, despite the fact that this guy is anything uh, but a president that's been on full display for almost four years, I do think that everyone has to take seriously the fact that oftentimes um, presidents are reelected. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. you know he has got a just a crazy group of people who um, stick with him, and we, you know, it's it's going to be really tough, and we can't take yeah. anything for granted, but we can absolutely win. Yes, um, you know, but I think part of that too is is I've always said in campaigns, you have you have two things: you have you know time and money. You can always uh, raise more money, but you can't buy more time. Yeah. And I think that you know what's critical is that the Biden campaign is. Is making decisions. One of the one of the things that you know Bill Clinton said to me years ago was um, he'd rather um, he'd rather someone make a hundred decisions and get those things done. And five of them you screw up, Mm -hmm. and four of them you can fix, and one of them you can live with. Mm -hmm. But the the you know the slowness or inability to get things done and make decisions, or you know, roll things out quickly, or you know, just try different things when campaigning in a pandemic, I, I think is, you know, is critical that this yeah. campaign is, is out there, you know, working really hard and, and taking advantage of every moment to, to get their message out. Yeah. And Biden has had the, um this, you know, not that I really care for polling, but it, it's been stated that, you know, he has had the steadiest lead of pretty much any um, of any presidential nominee in you know recent history so i think that that's a good thing
0: yeah that started before he even announced i mean it might have dipped for five minutes um in the first two primaries but um after south carolina he's held steady also so yeah i mean and i think i keep going back to the idea that there have been a number of election experts who based on you know every single election since trump got into office democrats have won and not only that we've seen women and lgbt and and People from the trans community, which is also LGBT, but you know what I mean. So it's like we've seen the marches, the women's marches. We've seen people marching for climate. We've seen people protesting for their health care. And so Democrats have shown up. I wish Democrats, though, this is my big pet peeve. I mean, I am a Democrat. And I certainly I say this because when I was like I, I told you when I was younger, I really wasn't paying attention to politics. It was this slow roll. I guess a lot of people experience similar evolution with politics, but it was like, you know, initially when, when George Bush, George uh, W. Bush quote won in 2000, I started paying a little attention and then, um, you know, going, I'd watch maybe Bill Maher and then, you know, eventually I started watching Rachel Maddow and then I was like freaking out about Sarah Palin. And then once Obama became president, I was really paying attention. And And I wish that Democrats would um, take that, like, Obama totally understood how to get young people engaged and interested. I wish we could take that, uh, not just with young people, but that whole idea of getting people engaged and, like, 24-7. Always have some kind of, like, I've always thought it would be a great idea for Democrats, like, a a, a portion of the money that they raise, whether it's the DNC or however it all works, because I don't know. But um, just a portion of money go to... Like an education campaign, not necessarily for Democrats, but for Congress, because when I was a kid, um, I, you know, I always liked the idea of standing up for the little guy, and I, I also liked expressing my opinion. And if I, and if I found out that somebody was either discriminated against or, um, you know, in some way oppressed or something, I wanted to say something and speak out. And and unfortunately, I didn't. You know, I went to California public school systems, which means I didn't get civics and there's no civics in school anymore. And it's like I think it would be really cool if maybe there was some and I don't know if it would be Democrats or just somebody aligned with Democrats who would, um, you know, maybe do like an online fun show or, or, or program where you would have like a kid who understands, like, let's just say how a bill becomes a law or, you know, going back to, I don't know if you even know of Schoolhouse Rock, but, you know, they did that how, you know, yeah, 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 okay, yeah. So, so, so like you have a kid, explain it to a celebrity, like a really cool celebrity that, that a lot of people like adults and kids as well so, you know, you could make it fun and you could teach them about why it's important you know, why uh, the, the Senate chooses a, just, a Supreme Court justice I think that would have made me interested in voting earlier because I, don't, I never knew that and so it's like I, would, I, I wish Democrats would sell themselves. You know, like in 20, 2014, they weren't selling the ACA. And um, I, I wanted to see them sell the ACA, you know. And then, unfortunately, mm-hmm. Democrats really didn't do very well in 2014. And I'm just you, – you're in this whole – you know, you're in that world. Um, is there anything you – like
1: how can I – The biggest I, thing, like I would say that I've, that I've advocated and pushed for, I ran for vice chair of the DNC. Mm-hmm in uh 2017 there were nine candidates and three seats and i came in fourth mm-hmm. um and you know one of the things that i pushed for was um uh, bringing in high school democrats as part of uh the dnc because yeah, if idea. you if you look it, it, one high school democrats throughout this country are, are super organized and have a great organization huh. two republicans have been doing this for years and most people make up their you know and decide their political affiliation in high school Mm -hmm. they're you know they're registering to vote their their senior year um and it's you know it's usually folks that um vote the way their families vote or vote the way that you know that that um issues are important to them and it's been issues more and more and and so you know i wanted the uh, high school democrats to have votes on the dnc and to be integrated the dnc i think actually in the last like year um they finally gave them a seat or two on the dnc as dnc members um uh but i you know i think that that's key is organizing yeah. um and and fully integrating the high school democrat chapters throughout the country into the dnc and providing them you know with the resources they need you know i've always said most of the most of the best ideas in this country come from outside dc you know and the <laughs> dnc should be like a. Uh, you know, customer service should really be one of the number one things they do because if you know, if someone wants to get involved and in, you know, locally, and they call the DMC, it it should really sort of have those tentacles to totally get yes. involved at the state and local level.
0: Yeah, because I feel like you know, I mean, again, as as a young girl who was growing up in Los Angeles and wanted, I wanted to you know, I was pursuing an acting career, and I I cared about superficial bullshit things. And I, I mean, I, I do remember I did cast my first vote for Bill Clinton because a girlfriend of mine, it was funny, my dad worked for, he used to work for ABC news as a cameraman. And he also, he often worked at the white house and the Pentagon and he would, he would be on presidential campaigns. And so he was on Clinton's presidential campaign and he met us there. I I'm in DC now, but I used to, I lived in Los Angeles most of my life. So my dad who lived in DC had come out for Clinton's uh, thing and my girlfriend, who was totally into Bill Clinton, um, you know, had been talking him up to me, and so it was funny because we were going to go meet my dad for dinner, and on the way to the restaurant, we were in Santa Monica. There's, there was Bill Clinton, and and so yeah, you funny. know he shook our hands and everything and asked for our vote, but um, so I did vote for him because my girlfriend had been so you know like you got to vote, you got to vote, you got to do this. But it's like, I feel like people would be more, especially younger people, would be more interested if they had like. I know Republicans use fear, you know, especially they love to use abortion and they love to say that we're killing babies. And so they're um, reaching out to an emotional part of people. And so I think I would love to see Democrats do that, but obviously not with fear so much. Or if it was fear, it was fear of losing your rights. But it's like something that would be compelling to someone who's not interested in politics. When you make it personal is when... Um, all of a sudden you realize politics is personal and I think it would help. And it's like, I, I, I just, I always see what, you know, what you're talking about exactly is, is the truth. The Republicans totally have their thing down and they keep every year the same thing. And, And then Democrats have such a huge, diverse group of people with diverse religions and cultures and, so, you're, you know, you have to appeal to the whole big tent, which is a lot harder than this small group of, like, white Christian people who don't want to kill babies. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, I just, and so I'm just, I'm just pontificating here and going off because I would love to see, I don't know, not to say that I'm trying to push this on you, but it's like, I just wish that I could see Democrats, pu- like, just saying, hey, this is why we're great. And this is why you right. need us. Because I don't think well, they do a good job Hillary, of that all the time.
1: To go back to Hillary from early on. You know, what she always used to say was Democrats fall in love and Republicans fall in love. And in this cycle, I think it's um, it's uh, Democrats are trying to buy TV ads while Republicans are buying TV stations.
0: Wow. Wow.
1: It's kind of the same. Same thing. It's very predictable. Mm -hmm. And, um, you you know, most of the Republican Party did everything they did to stop Trump. And then they, you know, completely got behind them to get everything they wanted and more.
0: Uh, um, (laughs) it's just all so freaking scary. Um, What do you think should be the first priority? Okay, let's just assume Democrats take the Senate, keep the House, Biden wins. What do you think should be uh, the couple of first priorities? You know, obviously there'll be a a few things. To me, one of the first things is securing elections, but what do you think that, like, immediately we should be focusing
1: on? I think that the... um the first thing that should happen is they should have basically like every executive order printed out and ready to go and they should overturn every single thing they can, you know, within the legal limits that, um, you know, is possible with a pen. And, and then I think that, you know, we need to, um, we need to fight and we need to, you know, I think that the courts are one of the biggest things, the judges, um, that's probably one of the scariest things that's happened, you know, the last, three years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's one of the reasons why it's so incredibly important to take back the Senate. But when we take back the Senate, we also have to operate the Senate the way that Mitch McConnell operated the Senate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we can't allow them to continue to do stuff like Merrick Garland. I mean, we have to fight. We have to, we have to actually, um, you know, be willing to, to, to fight because that's what it is.
0: Let me ask you this: I saw Peter Dow, who I'm not a big fan of, but he suggested that Democrats should move to impeach, and I'm curious what you think about that, Uh, Bill Barr.
1: Uh, Oh, Bill Barr. Yeah, I mean, I I I've I've thought for a long time we should impeach Bill Barr. I think that you know he's he's on record on video in the Senate, um, you know, both with uh, folks like Senator Harris and others, and you know he just. Uh, he lied, but also um you know he's completely politicized the department of justice and mm-hmm. and it's been it's been so long it's almost easy to forget, but he also refused to show up and testify in the house mm-hmm. and um that still has not happened um and you know I think that's a huge problem and i, I think that these these news cycles go so quick and move so fast mm-hmm. that um you know unless the uh you know there's a a laundry list being kept, it's easy to forget um but it seems often that a lot of these folks like Bill Barr are getting away with things mm-hmm. because, you know, Trump is is doing one terrible thing after another. And, you know, we can't walk and chew gum at the same time.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I feel I feel kind of torn on that because obviously for historical sake, I do think he should be impeached. But I feel like at this point, um, especially during the pandemic, I mean, I don't know how they would do that as far as I guess they could have a social distance thing or they could do something on zoom or something. Um, But I think what they
1: need to do, I mean, it it seems to me the easiest thing to do uh, is to apply pressure on him to testify and to subpoena him. And I think that one of the things that to me just seems kind of crazy is that, you know, we took back majority of the house and we are, we seem scared of our own shadows and we don't want to subpoena people. We want to pressure people for, and give them three-week deadlines, and then you know when it's all said and done. I mean, what what was the point of taking back the house if that's what we were going to do? So, I think that you know they they need to um, subpoena him, and he didn't want to be subpoenaed. Yeah, I, I don't think that was the story he wanted, right? So they were it, they kept coming out saying that DOJ and the House were having negotiations and this, and they you know, but they should have they should have subpoenaed him when he when he didn't ultimately agree to come.
0: Why do you think? And that... the
1: same same thing with Pompeo.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think that they're so, like, afraid of their own shadow? Why? Uh,
1: You know, I I think that oftentimes um, uh, Democrats are just, you know, so ethical that Mm -hmm. even the appearance that they're politicizing something is not something that they want to do or they try to avoid. But at the same time, you know, Democrats and Americans throughout the country and lots of independents – um, went out there and, and voted for mm-hmm. Democrats to take back the House yeah. um, so that there was a check and balance, and, and we're not using it the way we could.
0: That's just disappointing because you're absolutely right, and it's like – the thing is, is like I feel – I see certain people on the left – criticizing Democrats, which I have no problem with, you know, I mean, saying, okay, we have problems in our party, we have issues that we need to address. I don't want to go after them and attack them and make them seem like they're, you know, they're the only party that does anything to help anybody. <laughs> it's like, right. so I mean, right. I don't hate Democrats at all. I, I, I can't say love, because that would be weird. But um, I'm, I'm a fierce Democrat. And I'm and a, I, I have progressive views. And I also realize that, you know, it's, I think I'm like Hillary in that, okay, what's possible? What can we achieve that's possible? Because we mm-hmm. have to share this country, and not everybody thinks like I do, and as much as I may not respect those particular people, I respect the fact that they get to have their opinion. and you know, we got it we just got to coexist. so um but it's but upset it's definitely upsetting to me when I see Democrats not taking advantage of their power. And I'm also right. wondering, like, what and, do you and, and
1: that's the other thing I think is the point that you just made on power. I've I've often thought last three years that a lot of times people want power and then when they have it, they're afraid to use it. Yeah. Um, And I think that's been on display quite a bit. And there's been a lot of moments where I felt like, you know, Donald Trump's going to be reelected. Maybe Mm -hmm. they'll take back the house and, you know, Democrats are going to wonder what happened. And the reality is, is the Republicans take care of their base and we don't.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the bottom line. I mean, I feel like, it's just, that's what scares me, because it's like, I feel like when you, when you look at all those elections since 2017, Democrats have won, and they've done a, you know, a a fantastic job, but there's always that big question, you know what I mean, and I will say that 2018, we saw general election turnout, which is amazing, consider, considering the last midterm, it was the worst turnout in like 80 years, and Democrats basically just stayed home, so To see that, you know, go from embarrassingly awful turnout to, you know, huge turnout and basically almost a mandate, I guess you could say, um, that is inspiring and it's hopeful. And I hope that it will bleed over into this, you know, I mean, and I don't even know what's going to, I mean, I I can't even imagine what we're going to be seeing in November, especially if we have a surge in this uh, COVID thing because I don't think we're going to be able to do the, I mean, I get to vote by mail because I live in a state that I can do that. But if, if there are states out there that don't have it, then I don't think it's going to get done. And it's just, it's, it's a very scary proposition. Um, what was I going to ask you about? The
1: Republicans are already putting up a fight in yeah. most of these states. And that's where the, the timing is such a huge problem. Yes. you know We're running out of time and you've got, you know, yeah. state, state Supreme courts and AGs coming out saying that, you know, it's not, I mean, literally like they're saying things like it's not safe to vote by mail yeah. um, in a pandemic. And it just doesn't make any it sense. It doesn't
0: make any, it doesn't make any sense. It's so stupid. Oh my God. That just makes me mad. They're they, they are so irritating and I'm being nice. Um, I want to ask you a little bit too um, about the Kremlin annex. Is that still going on?
1: Yeah, it is still going on. Actually, our lead organizer was out there over the weekend. Um, and, and this week there's a bunch of groups that are um, that are doing some different events out there. Uh, it's been a little tougher. We typically work with um, the local indivisible groups Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, they're all incredibly organized, but one Mm -hmm. of the things that we, you know, we agreed to around, I think March 15th was, you know, it's better to kind of organize online and not be out there in Mm -hmm. person right now. Um, you know, and if there's an opportunity to, you know, do stuff in a safe way, let's do it. We did organize a few other things, um, Including uh, like a bunch of kind of social distancing car things. One of them was that this kind of cool aerial boat picture where the cars were all lined up, and we have you know a drone taking a picture. But it's definitely been um, it's been tough. But mm-hmm. the organizer that we've had out there for um, since uh, July of 2018, can't believe it's almost been two years. Um, was out there again this weekend.
0: And so, just if you don't know the Kremlin, it's basically like a protest outside of the White House every day.
1: Yeah, that literally started the night that Trump's helicopter touched back down on the White House lawn when he came back from that Helsinki summit with Putin. It was just, you know, like of all the egregious things, that was, you know, one of the most. And Uh um, it just inspired people to kind of get out there that night and uh, start protesting.
0: Yeah, I know you've had some like Alyssa Milano was there. You've had some, um, I think, wasn't Rosie O'Donnell there?
1: Yeah, Rosie actually came with a bus of Broadway singers which was super <laughs> oh, That's cool. so cool. <laughs> yeah, it was really, it was really great. I think that was probably the the biggest night that it's ever had was when, when Rosie came down.
0: Wow, that's awesome. Um and then the last thing I just want to touch on is I don't know if you've ever read my pinned tweet, but I used to live in Soviet Russia because of my father, you know, he worked for ABC News. And um that's where he started his ABC News career. And we lived there. I was there for nine months, and that was back in 1981. And so, I always, you know, like to talk about the fact that I understand the Soviet mindset because I was able to live it and and literally smell it. Um, and so, when I when I see what's happening with Vladimir Putin and the fact that he's attacking us, he's u- utilizing cyber warfare and all that, I I'm worried because I think as soon as I learned. Like I didn't realize that w- that was happening in 2016, and Hillary did talk about it, obviously in the debates, and she mentioned it, but it didn't really sink in um, until you know Trump was installed. I like to say, and right. then and we we started learning more about this because obviously you know you're going to have you know Russia or whoever trying to interfere, so it, it wasn't something that clicked. And then event- and then when I realized, oh wait a minute, now they've got this crazy man installed. It it showed me that Putin has the keys to the White House, and and I really believe that everybody is underestimating this. I mean, it's not to say that I think Putin is constantly telling Donald Trump what to say or think, but I think, you know, he's got whatever compromise on him, dating back to the 80s, I'm sure, um, and you know add to that the fact that Trump loves people like him and wants to be like a Putin character. Right. right.
1: Um yeah, the whole I mean the whole thing is wild. And, and there's been there's been so many things even after the election um you know if you think back to you know Jared Kushner coordinating with the mm-hmm. Russian embassy to yeah. utilize their their communications technology um at the Russian embassy. I mean it's like it's literally you know like the unaired um, seasons of, you know, the Americans or something yeah. like that. And there was, uh, you know, early on in this, this administration where, um, you know, ambassador Kislyak, was basically like, you know, quoted in Russia saying like, I can't believe what we're getting away with, you know? Oh, yeah. And, um, I, I think there's been, it's, it's been so bad that a lot of times it just seems like there's less that the Kremlin needs to do because you know this administration just naturally does it uh-huh. and it's you know it's very bizarre and criminal behavior but yeah. um you know uh it's it's worked very well for russia and mm-hmm. and i think that um you know having been on the receiving end of of those um those uh hacking attempts back in 2016 you know there's and, and i'm sure there's a lot more information that they got from campaign staffers and all sorts of things like that, that were yeah. never even ultimately used. Absolutely, My guess was yeah. always that a lot of what they stole back in 2016, they planned on using against Hillary and her administration. If she was in the white house, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised to see all sorts of old stuff from 2016 start reappearing, you know, in the fall of, of, um, Fun. of this year. And, you know, nobody would care what the dates are just because it's, right. you know, it's, it's, you know, more chaos.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, they also, I mean, I know that um, they also hacked the RNC. So, you know, <laughs> and I think yeah, they used. Yeah,
1: Lindsey Graham said that he was hacked. And, and, and you know, this, more than anyone else. But Putin's, um, you know, uh, when we talk about compromise on Trump, there's there's compromise on Putin, right? Like, compromise is yeah. the, the glue that holds the Kremlin together. It's not going anywhere, it's going to be there forever. And, yeah. Um, you know, they basically have just taken things that they've been doing, you know, for decades and, and made it you know, uh, sharpened their knife and made it, you know, in terms of online.
0: Yeah. I mean, it just, it, it's so frightening to me because I, you know, I, it's almost like a blessing and a curse that I had that experience to live there. I lived there for like one full school year. And so I really just got to soak it up. And because my dad was a correspondent, we had even less privileges than, than the diplomats over there. So I had a very, um, organic experience i mean i didn't have to live like a russian but what i understood was and i keep emphasizing because and i will continue to emphasize this because people just don't get it there was this like ice cold uh i don't know like almost violent feel you know like you're walking down the street i felt safe as a 12 year old girl catching the bus or taking taxis in fact i was um because my father was a correspondent and because I had, instead of taking the American school bus, I would take Russian transportation and I, I, I understood how to navigate it. And because it's a police state, it was fairly safe as long as you played by all the rules that Russia wanted you to play by. And so I organized a trip with my girlfriends and I on a, like a Saturday to go to Gorky Park, you, you know, using taxi cabs and everything. But there's this overall feeling of if you step out of line, you'll disappear. And... It's, it was just like, I mean, I, I understood very clearly from the moment I stepped off the plane and was stared at by just these young men in the airport, you know, in their Russian garb staring at me as if I was coming over to destroy the country and they just don't care who you are. They don't care if you're a 12 year old dorky girl with big glass, you know, like thick glasses. They don't care. They look at you like you're a criminal. And I feel like people truly don't get it, especially those who minimize and they call it Russiagate. And, um, you know, it's like, boy, he wants like, he doesn't want to take us to Soviet America. That's not going to happen. But we're definitely, if Trump were to win again, I think that it's over. It's over for this country. I don't know when we'd ever get back to some, you know, I mean, I think it would take so much time, 100 years, 200 years, I don't know, but um, it wouldn't be immediate. And I think the oligarchs would win and it would it would literally take like a revolution to change things. We'd have to overthrow the government or something because I think once they if they really do get what they want, it's just dismantling our democracy and letting and just letting the oligarchs have a dictatorship and then everybody else just like right now in Russia will have to either accept it or rebel. That's how I see it. Right. I, mean, I, I feel yeah, like Yeah,
1: and it's the same thing. I mean, it's kind of wild, but it, you know, Paul Manafort you know, took a Putin right hand and installed yeah. him in Ukraine, um, you know, who ultimately fled and during Maidan and went to, went back to Russia, but, um, you know, and then Manafort did the same thing here. I mean, it's yeah. almost, you know, one and the same.
0: It's just so crazy. I just don't know. Well, um, do, how, how do you feel like my last question will be how, I mean, you said Trump can win and obviously he can, but like, how confident are you in for November?
1: Um, I mean, I just, you know, I think that it's like one of these things where it kind of goes back to what Michelle Obama said a few years ago. And it's Democrats should be really trying to get every vote they can, especially in these, you know, local elections. Because if we can turn out, you know, two extra votes at this polling location and three extra votes right. at this polling location yeah. for the down ballot races, it's going to naturally help the top of the ticket. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if someone's coming out to, you know, support your friend in Oakland, they're going to they're going to vote for Joe Biden.
0: Yeah.
1: Um that applies in, you know, Pennsylvania and Virginia mm-hmm. and other places. And I think that, you know, I my my confidence probably is tied directly to, you know, the level of of, you know, organizing and getting out the vote, but I think there's a lot of other important efforts too that are going on right now to make sure that people can vote and yeah. uh, you know, hopefully we have a perfect storm and all that stuff happens because when you know, um, eligible citizens are able to vote. Democrats win.
0: Yes, absolutely. Well, I do appreciate you stopping by and chatting with me. I always enjoy your takes on uh, Twitter. There. They're pretty funny. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> you, you you seem a little bit like a serious guy, but you come you come across a little tiny bit more. Um, I don't know. I don't want to use the word snarky, but you can be a little snarky, which I very much enjoy. <laughs>
1: so, Thank you. No, I appreciate it. I'm usually. Uh, I think sometimes I'm, I sound a little more serious when I'm. Uh, you know, focus on the homeschool and everything else. Well, of course. um, Yeah, of course. I try to be as snarky as I can.
0: (laughs) Well, I love your snark. Absolutely love it. And I do love your takes and I appreciate you being on the show. I'm going to include your um, Twitter handle in the text of this Patreon show. So just FYI. Awesome. But thank you for coming on and, you know, be safe.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
0: All right. Take care, Adam. Thank you. Well, talking to him was definitely interesting. I mean, he he has an interesting background, and I mean, I always get scared when I hear people say Trump can win, because I know he can win. He already won, in quotes. Um, But still, it just freaks me out. I hope that's motivation for, I mean, I know, everybody who's listening to the show is going to be voting for Biden, I would assume. If you're not, why are you even listening to the show? (laughs) But that was kind of uh, an interesting chat. He's I don't know if anybody, if, if, if you follow him on Twitter, you know what, what I said was true. He definitely has some good snark. So if you're not following him, I highly recommend it. He's a great follow and he's funny. He's got, he's got an edge. So, you know, this guy has been in politics for a long time and he, he was born in 1985. He's just a baby. Oh my God, I was born in 68. Um, I can't believe like I'm older than so many people. <laughs> it's like every year I keep getting older than more people. Or older. Yeah. Older than more people, if that makes any sense. Anyway. All right. I'm going to just stop blabbering now because clearly I'm just going off into the ether. So uh, you can follow me on Twitter at author Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y. And then also, if you would, you could you could like go to my Amazon page, Kimberly A. Johnson, and maybe buy one of my books My favorite one out of all of them is Peyton's Choice. It's a book about abortion, teen abortion. I did write it for young adults, but what I really liked about it is that it was my most favorite book to write and it was the only fiction book I've ever done. And I think that's why I took a piece of my life when I was growing up in Torrance, California, I had a group of, it was four of us, three other friends and we were best friends and like every Sunday Morning. My girlfriend would come by in her her silver 57 Chevy and pickup, and we would she would t- we would all go to um, this particular Greasy Spoon and have breakfast. And the rule was we weren't allowed to wear makeup, and I loved that so much. Like I loved being part of a group, and you know we would all spend our like Christmas Day would come, and we would have our Christmas morning with our parents and everything. But then we would have our own Christmas Day at you know somebody's house one of the girls' houses. And so I basically, and that was also, was Torrance, California was like a beach town. And so we were right near the beach and it was just, at the time, it was something uh, idyllic for me. It it was, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I had come from Hollywood, which was a little bit more of a harsher environment to live in, um, to Torrance, which was definitely a little bit more, um, I get, my father referred to the, Torrance as sterile, <laughs> which I think was, you know, looking back, I think it's a pretty good description. But when you were a teenager growing up there, it was like everything. I, when, when my mom brought me, you know, like we moved back to Hollywood after I got out of high school. And I remember I cried and I, I said that Torrance was a little piece of heaven. But anyway, so I include a lot of my own experiences in the book, Peyton's Choice even though I never got pregnant, so I never had an abortion. But um, I figured, you know, what would have happened if I did get pregnant? And I also made the lead character who was based on me. Here's how we were totally different. She had like a 4.0 average and got a scholarship into UCLA. Never happened to me. (laughs) But, you know, that's what's so great about writing. You can just like create your own universe. And the funny thing is, before I let you go, is there was this guy that I – I, I okay. The guy in the book, his name is Brad, because of course his name was Brad. But anyway, um, I based him on this dude who I met at a party when I was fifteen, and his name was his real name was Tom. I won't say his last name, but I always referred to him as like with his full name. So it's like if, let's say his name was Tom Jones. I would always call him Tom Jones. So I met this guy Tom Jones at I don't know somewhere out when I was with my friend, and he was tall and he was. You know the kind of teenage guy that now looked like a man. You know he had hair on his arms and he was—he looked manly instead of like a boy. And I completely lost my shit for him. And so um, I went home and I kept talking about this Tom Jones guy. He didn't go to my school, but you know in Torrance you'd see you'd see people around. So I was just hoping one day I would see him again. So all these years go by, I don't see him till I was 15 when I 10th grade when I first saw him. Cut to I was in. I was a senior and I remember I was at a party with my girlfriend and I had been drinking and I was uh, on the more obnoxious side of drinking, which meant that I saw Tom and I like shit my pants. I was like, oh my God, it's Tom, it's Tom. So I went up to him and I was just so bold and I I said that I uh, wanted his phone number. And I was like, you're not getting away from me this time. And he was totally into it. So he gives me his phone number. And I, I, I had it with me, and I went home. As I mentioned, I was drinking. So I wrote the number down in my diary. The next morning, I got up, and I called the number, and it was a lumberyard. And so I thought, oh, I acted like a fucking idiot. I was drunk, and I was too pushy, and I made him give him, my phone or give him his phone number, and he, so he just thought, fucking, I'm going to give him a wrong phone number. So that was that, and I never saw Tom again. So then... I think it was years go by, and now I'm like living on my own. I'm an adult, probably early 20s, and I'm reading through my diary, and I see this number that I had written down back when I was a senior. And I realized that the um, prefix was not correct, you know, because like you have prefixes in any given area. Like, for instance, in Baltimore, 661 is a prefix. So I had, it looked, I thought, did I write the prefix down wrong? So I call with the proper prefix, and a woman answers, and I said, hi, may I please speak with Tom? And she goes, oh, well, he doesn't live here anymore. Oh, my God, he gave me the right phone number. I know he gave me the right phone number, and I was just drunk, and I wrote it down wrong. And so then, cut to, I think I'm 41 years old, and I look him up on Facebook, and I find him. And so we have, um, like a little, I, you know, I friend him and then we have a little back and forth. And it was just funny because like for a moment he got caught up in the, uh, excitement of all of it. And I think he was like hoping to meet me, but he was living, I don't know, whatever state he's in. I don't know. So we never met, but I just thought it was funny because I based the Brad character on him and, you know, and I did tell him, I wound up telling him that I, I did that. And then I, I and then I lost my Facebook page because Facebook is a fucking dick and, that's it that's it for my Tom story but anyway so that's you get the backstory here on uh on my book Peyton's Choice (laughs) all right so again author Kimberly K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y on Twitter and I will see you guys on Wednesday when I'm going to be talking to Amanda Sowards looking forward to that one see you next time stay in be safe